Hello, everybody, and welcome. And this is the Midnight McBride Show, show number 24. And I've called this show Laugh Out Loud with Lol Bell. And the reason I've called it that is because I'm a guest. And this evening I've got Lol Bell. I did do. My mate Lol Bell from my old mate. many, many years. Many, many years. Yeah. 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 So, Lol, this show came about because. I don't really go out very much and I don't yeah. go to the pub, but yeah. recently I went in the Lion of Vienna yeah. and synchronicity and alignment would have it yeah. that I bumped into you. You did. And yeah. we had a chat and what I tried to do for a long time is I tried to get you on the radio. Yeah. And you weren't up for it at the time. No. Well, as anybody will tell you, I do a lot of talking, but I'm not up for public speaking. No. You know, so, you know. I told you Willow, know, yeah, Stephanie, yeah. my partner, yeah. and because she knows, yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I said, I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. And I said, yeah, Lol's not that comfortable yeah, or yeah. doesn't really want to do, like, yeah. public speaking. And she said, really? And we, she was absolutely staggered because... We should have filmed it in the pub, mate. Yeah. We should have done it in the pub. <laughs> because <laughs> you can... Line of Vienna, that would have been, that would have been, yeah. If you're in yeah. a room and you're yeah. with a group of people and yeah. you're laughing and joking, yeah. you sort of take over and you yeah. command their attention. Just noisy. Yeah. Just well, there you go. Just noisy. Yeah. There you go. So, Lola, I was going to do, you're going to be the first guest of two or three people that I'd like to get on the show. And yeah. one of them is a very good friend of mine and yours, Russ yeah. Campbell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Russ, if you're watching this, yeah. I'd love you to come on the show. Yeah. And, and you just, can cut all the bad bits yeah. out. <laughs> There's been the no villain, show left. The villainous bits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I was going to call it Local Legends because yeah. these are people that, if you live in Bolton, like yourself, yeah. and another guy I'd love to get on is Trev Roberts as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, no Trev, yeah. People yeah. that everybody knows, and that over the years have had fascinating, yeah. interesting yeah. lives and me, done me loads and of things. went to school together. Did Prime, you? Primary school, yeah. Right. yeah. Well, You're above me. You know. Trev's son, Brendan, who's a good friend of mine, yeah. is coming on the show. Right. We haven't agreed yeah. the date yet, yeah. but he's, he's going to come on as well. So, yeah. yeah. What's funny, Lol, is the reason I called the show Laugh Out Loud with Lol Bell LOL, when people text, is laugh yeah. out loud or lots of love as well, yeah. but usually laugh out loud. Yeah. And well, you told, told a story about I this. I told you, when this LOL thing first came out, and I'm on Facebook and I'm a technological idiot. I mean, I know nothing about, about technology. But suddenly, everybody's writing LOL. And I thought, I do these people know me. <laughs> what have I done here? LOL. The complete strangers going, hey, LOL. I'm thinking, uh, friends on Facebook. <laughs> what an idiot. <laughs> Well, I didn't know what it meant for a long time. No, I didn't. No, yeah, no. Uh, whatever. Yeah, it's like my mate, he put, kept writing me, M8. I'm like, M8? What the hell? What's that, mate? Oh, mate? Mate, mate. Oh. Said to him, get alive. <laughs> I first met you, Lol, it's many years ago. There's a bit of an yeah. age gap between yeah. us, and yourself and Russ are both a bit older than me. Yeah. But I met you because when I was at school, I came to your salon. Yeah. Uh, it was a birthday treat, and my mum took me, and I went for a flat top. Yeah, what was that? How long ago? <sighs> I, I'm guessing 30 years ago. Yeah. In a long yeah. time which, ago. Which shop was it, Bernie and Lawrence? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was a treat, and I had a, it was blow-drying and everything yeah. else, and I yeah. came out, and I hated it. <laughs> but it wasn't because it was a bad haircut, yeah. it was yeah. just... It was very different for me at the time, yeah. you know. So. Can't see you with a flat top, mate. No, no, no. I've no hair. I didn't cut it, obviously. It's, no, no. No, no. Uh, it's not optional anymore, is it? It's no. bit, I've been a bit bald for... No, the, don't need her, mate. No, need 25 her. years. Yeah, guess yeah. it where. What's, uh. what's it my granddad always used to say? He used to say, um, grass don't grow on a busy street. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, means if you're intelligent, yeah. there's a lot yeah. going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, lol, um... There's lots of strings to your bow, and one of those is you're now 
if you look over here, folks, and you'll see, if we go on the wide angle camera and you look over there, you'll see that there's four books and you've got Shiny Scissors, Pavel's Gift, Eagles and Red Poppies and Black Apple, which has just come out. So you're a, a multiple author, yeah. pr prolific yeah. in well, writing. Yeah. We've Especially got, with Pavel's gift. Yeah. You can use that. I've seen a crane, a tower crane, and they use it for a counterbalance. <laughs> it's that yeah. big. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the thick books. Black, Black Apples is actually a, a shorter book, but it's a, it's a slightly different yeah. subject. Sometimes it's, it's not about yeah. the size, obviously. It's what's but, in it. Yeah. It's just what's yeah. in it, isn't it? So. so I thought what we'd do, Lol, we'll start at the beginning mm. and we'll go on a bit of a journey. Okay. Uh, and That's then we'll arrive it. in the present moment yeah. and then we're going to have a good chat about your books that yeah. you write. Yeah. And something I'd like to say at this point is on my journey, I decided I was going to write a book. Mm. And this is before I knew you'd actually mm. written a book. And it was going back now two and a half years ago, roughly, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I came to you. Yeah, I'd, I'd got the draft. 2017, I think. Yeah, I think and I, I'd got the draft for the book, yeah. but I didn't really know where to go from there, yeah. and I needed a bit of guidance and yeah. advice, and I met you in 8020 up the road yeah, here. Yeah, we did. And, yeah, you took the time out, yeah. and you put me in touch yeah. with a couple of people, a, a yeah. publisher that yeah. we both yeah. use, and yeah. at the time... I really didn't have anywhere else to turn, yeah. and you made the time for me, and I'm very yeah. grateful for that. Well, I have it. Publishing is a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And also, I have this thing, any author, anybody who's writing, I will support them, because yeah. I know how hard it is. And if you can pass on a bit of knowledge that, that because publishers are so hard, as you know and I, yeah. they're hard work, they're difficult yeah. people to deal with. I, I found that... Certain publishers will only deal with certain printers, will yeah. only deal with certain wholesalers, will yeah. only deal with certain retailers. Yeah. And it's it's a minefield if you yeah. don't know what you're doing. And the when first you time, go in, you're yeah. blind. Yeah. You're blind. You know, I went in completely blind. Mm. And, you know, you go through the internet and there's umpteen people on the internet saying, oh, yeah, we'll publish you that and, yeah, we'll send you boot rent world and all the rest of it. And, you know, you go be another yeah. J.K. Rollins. No, no, you're not. No. Uh, no. Um, you know, and it, it, it's it's an absolute mafia. And if somebody, it's like giving somebody road directions, you come into a town and you're lost. I don't know where I'm going here. I don't, you know, and it's not somebody says, you go up there, mate, and it's on your left. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing, bit of advice, isn't it? Yeah. You just say, listen. I'll give I'll give you the knowledge. My thought that there with I'll give you the knowledge that I know. And yeah. believe you me, I only know a fraction of it. Yeah. But but at the time, at least it set me off on the right you direction. Going, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I've learned that you think yeah. you've written a book and then you think, right, I've cracked it. Yeah. That's no. not even half of it. That's the easy job. That's, that's yeah. easy. The you, rest you know, of it is you, you, you've got to yeah. Review it, it's got to be edited, edited. you've got to have maybe a soft edit, you've got to look at the printing, the cover, the proofreading, promoting it. it. It's a nightmare, yeah. isn't it? Oh, you know? well, I, and you, know. you and I know you don't do this for money. It, no, you do no, it for, no, if it's a I passion. Said, I always said to yeah. people, if you're going to write and you're writing for money, forget it. Just don't, don't even go no. there. You've, you got, might, to, you've you got, got to write for yourself. You Without might do. doubt, you've got to write from your art yeah. and for yourself and what interests you. If you're writing... And all the certain authors do. They were John Grisham writes, pulls one out on the same date every eight, two years or something like that. And and he, they write for money, but they run out of steam. Yeah. A lot of the the the, the you know the major authors eventually they, they run out of steam. You yeah. know. Um, I find that in in writing a book, for a start. Unless you're one of the very, very lucky few, you're yeah. not actually going to make any money. No, you're not. But you do it because it's a passion, and you and yeah. I found that yeah. it was a way of expressing ourselves. It yeah. was cathartic. Do you know the simple thing, Pat? Yeah. Go to Bolton Library. 
walk around Bolton Library, thousands of books by different of authors, different authors. You've never heard of 95% of them. Yeah. You've never heard of a single... And the people who've wrote a few books put their heart and soul into it, like you and me, mm. and just, it's just out there. And they've written it, it's just been on for themselves. Okay, great. We can all all make make money, you know. Uh, yeah. Fantastic, you know. But you don't, you know. No. It's like the pop stars. There's a lot of great. It's really, it's like the music industry. There's a lot of great musicians out there. You can go to pubs and hear fantastic bands and groups. But you you only got like, you know, on the TV Simon Cowell's lots, and they pick some group off and promote them. Like yeah. take that or the equivalent to the I don't know who's top of the pops these days or whatever. But the <laughs> It's a machine that promotes them. And, and, you know, it's all recorded and half of them can't sing live and they're miming. But there yeah. are phenomenal musicians out there. You can go to pubs, clubs, and you see people that are really good that will never, never, you know. Yeah. And, and in it, there's a bit of fate and a bit of luck. Yeah. And, and, and if fate drops on your toes and says, it's like J.K. Rollins. Yeah. She, she went through nearly 20 publishers. They all turned her down. Yeah. Now, can you imagine if you were the publisher who turned down J.K. Rowlands, who sold second only to Bible in the amount yeah, of books? Yeah. You've, you've you, got the likes you'd, you'd of... You'd be sacked, wouldn't you? You'd be Chick sacked, yeah. Chicken Soup for the Soul, yeah, the book. Yeah. They got turned down over a hundred times. Yeah. And it's 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 one of the best-selling... It's in the top yeah, 100 yeah, se best-selling yeah, books. Yeah. And nobody would take it on. No, nobody. No, but no. they knew they had a pattern. you just got to keep yeah, going, yeah. keep going, yeah. keep going. Well, J.K. Rowlands, in the end, she had a friend of hers who were, who became a manager, and and he had a, a friend who was doing um, book top publishing in his bedroom, and he said to her, can I give me a book? And she said, whatever, nobody, it's no good, nobody wants to read it. So he gave it to his mate, who's well, his mate got back to him, he said, right, let me tell you something, the publishing I'm doing, actually, is children's poetry children's poems he said yeah i wasn't doing books he said but i've actually read this book and he said it's really good and i think kids will really like it so let's have a go and no big promotion but what they did and i love this story kids read it and then they said to the mate i've read this book this yeah. you know harry potter and they passed it on and then kids oh i'll read that and, they, and it were the children word of mouth and suddenly they're publishing all these books and the main publishers are like, what the hell's going on here? Well, she got such a momentum going. By yeah. the time the second Harry Potter book, it just sold millions and it's continued to. Yeah. And uh, she went through, she was in a bed sit, she was uh, on uh, the dole, yeah, she had no yeah. money. Her, her, but husband she had were, a... her husband were Greek, yeah. divorced her, she came back to it. Was, I think it was Glasgow, Glasgow or Edinburgh. Yeah. And she lived above the cafe where she was working with her, her daughter who was only a toddler. Yeah. And she had all this time on her hands. A bit like me, in a way. I've been through this sort of thing. And, and time on her hands. And she started she started writing. writing. Again, yeah. You know, the, the Ford Anglia that's in the book was actually the same car that one of her old boyfriends used to have. And it's just little things. And the street names that she's picked up in, yeah, either, yeah. in Scotland, where it, where it's yeah. Edinburgh or Glasgow or whatever. And it's all... It's all but I think, I think J.K. Rowlands is a fabulous writer. Yeah. I, I really, really do. I just think her imagination 
And I think she's a really nice person too, yeah. actually. I think, I, from what I've yeah. read, she's done some great... Amazing she, charity she, work. Yeah, yeah, she's got give, a lot give, of money and she, she does some no, good things with it. You know? When you have that kind of money, you have a bit of responsibility to, yes, you do. to do some to, to, decent to do things with it. Good yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Do. So you're a Bolton lad? Aye, lad. Aye. And I'd just like to say, I'm glad you're still talking to me because I remember... Uh, obviously, many years ago, yeah. that I, I went on a date with your niece. Yes. Vashti. Her Vashti, yeah, you did. Yeah. You did. And yeah, we had a yeah. nice time, yeah. we had a chat, you know, yeah. we didn't hit it off yeah. in that yeah. way, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you're still speaking to me, so yeah. I'm happy. You do know I had you following me. <laughs> <laughs> I was tailed. Ross <laughs> Campbell. <laughs> Follow them. I wondered why I kept yeah. bumping yeah. into yeah. Ross. <laughs> I don't think he brought the gun. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I know it, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Lola, I didn't know. You were a DJ. Let's start at the beginning. You were a DJ when you left school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was a DJ down. Uh, it, it became many names, but the original... The, the club was originally called, for anybody who's older than me, it was the Beachcomber on Bank Street. Yes. And then it became the Cromwellian. Yeah. And then it became the Playmate. And then it became various other things. I can't remember rest of the names. But I was in the... When it was the Cromwellian... Right. And and I did oh, 18 months uh, DJing away. And I actually passed it on to a well-known guy, you'll know him, Colin McGreevey. Oh, no, Colin. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, Colin yeah. Colin took over after me. I said to him, I yeah. said, I'm packing in. Do you want to well, go? Colin did, uh, yeah. I used to go to the Wanderers. We used to have yeah. Um, yeah. tickets for the Premier Suite, season tickets, mm. me and Dave Saul. And yeah. Colin used to do the announcing in the Platinum yeah. Suite, yeah. sorry. Yeah. 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 yeah, well, you know the funniest story I ever heard about Colin? It just tickled me, it just tickled me. You were introduced, <laughs> you were introduced <laughs> to J.J. Kotcher. Right. Right, and they said to him, Hello, Colin. This is JJ. And Colin reached over and he said, Hello, I'm Col Col. <laughs> <laughs> JJ looked at it like, just, just great. But we've been mates since we were, yeah. you know, and I know his brother Graham, obviously. Uh, we, we, were used, uh, we were quite lucky when we were in the Platinum Suite yeah. at the end of each game. Yeah. Some of the players are coming, they present the man of the match in yeah, there, yeah, and we used yeah. to get to meet them all, yeah. you know, so it was Yeah, it was yeah. well, time. I went a few times with Russell. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Boxing Day, Boxing Day matches. We yeah. used to get a table together, a gang of us. Really great afternoons in there. Yeah. Really. Then an ice cream man yes. from Amfredis. Yeah. I left school and... See, my old fellow, my dad used to sell ice cream as well. I You're mean, joking? No, no. Dad. Honestly? Yeah. Yeah, well, this was the Manfredis. There was two Manfredis, the ones with the pink vans who were halfway up Derby Street, based on Cannon Street, yeah. and the other ones up at Morris Green, which had the green vans. Right. I don't know which is which. I yeah, well, well, uh, I was a Manfredi on, on Cannon Street, Tower, so, and now I got right. the job. I left school under a bit of a cloud. And, and, <laughs> Why and, is that, lol? Smithles. Smithles. <laughs> Why, though? <laughs> Well, I actually didn't want to leave. They actually said, you've got to leave. (laughs) (laughs) I'd sort of done all my exams and there were all these young women in there at the time and I thought, hey, this is okay. You know, I'd gone down a year and I will, you know, (laughs) and I thought, this can carry on here. (laughs) And then Master called me and he went, what do you think you're playing at? You you won't stay another year. You've already said, you shouldn't have been here last year. (laughs) I said, well, I don't want to start work. So anyway, so so I I had to sort of leave and... um, and my, my, my parents had, uh, there were some uh, surveyors, God, I can't remember the name now, uh, main bolt surveyors in, in bolt, Crankshaw, Graham Ball, I think it was at the time. Yeah. And this, my, 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 my father had sort of said, this is what you should do, you should be, a, okay, Dad. And I went in and I was just, 
went for the interview and it just weren't me. You know what I mean? I'm like you in a way. I've always been a bit of a free spirit. Yes. You know, to, so I went and I thought, oh, and that, the old man, it was like something off Dickens. He came in and I sat down in front of him and he said, hello, and that was his voice. Yeah. And I like little me. Hello, Mr. Bell, he said. Now then, I believe you've come here for a position. And I'm thinking, oh, God. And he said, now, uh, we've just had notification through um, that to become a surveyor, um, you will have to, you only have O-level maths and you will have to take A-level maths to be a surveyor, so where the qualifications are going. Are you prepared to do that? Well, I saw me out. <laughs> and I said to him, oh, no. <laughs> I said, oh, no, cock, I won't be <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, no, cock, I beg your pardon, he said. I said, no, there's not a chance on this planet that I'll ever get A-level maths. I said, no, it's not going to happen. He said, so I'm not prepared to even do that, Mr. Bell. I said, no, no, I said, we're wasting each other's time here. He said, well, it seems very He said, well, well uh, uh, it seems that we won't be progressing anywhere, Mr. Bell. I said, well, fair, oh, well. fair oh, enough, well. pal, fair <laughs> enough, pal. I said, I'll give it yeah. a shot. And he was like, um, anyway, out, out I walked. So uh, then, then it was... Eggs, poultry, market trader. But, now I know where you got the spiel from. Well, well, the story was, you see, I came out of there and at the time I had a scooter and I jumped on my Lambretta and I'm driving home and I'm thinking, my mother's going to kill me because she's been telling everybody, oh, my son is going, working for Cyril Morris Outright. <laughs> That's why I'm like, oh, I've got a grain ball, wherever it were. And uh, Crankshaw's out there, Crankshaw. And I said... Uh, I thought to myself, she'll kill me. She'll kill me. So I took the scenic route home and I'm driving up double on my scooter and I just saw Manfredi's ice cream. So I thought, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give him a go. So I went to knock on the door and this guy came out, Louis, Louis Manfredi, great character, Italian, cap over one side. Yeah. Hello, my boy, hey, what do you want? I said, <laughs> Have you got any jobs going, pal? Yeah, yeah, he says, we have a round going in Wigan, the man was start to... Uh, he's finishing, the man who's doing his uh, next week, he said, with a round coming up. You want another job? You can drive away? Yeah, 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 no problem. Okay. He says, you come, come, day after tomorrow, I have him take you on the round. Are you okay with that? Yeah, yeah, so that was it. So I got home and I walked into the house. Well, not a problem. And my mother's upstairs, bless her, ironing. Yeah. <laughs> And she says, hello, love. I said, hiya, mum, you all right? She said, how did it job go? Oh, I said, uh, no, I'm, I'm actually, I said, uh, I'm not, I'm not doing that uh, that severe job. Well, I didn't go down. Yeah. And she comes to the top of the stairs. She said, you what? What do you mean you're not doing that job? I said, no, I'm not doing it, mummy. I said, it's not for me and they want the A-level So I've got myself another job. Don't worry. <laughs> and she said, why? What, what's this other job you be? What are you being? I said, an ice cream man for my freaking. And she burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? I went, oh, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. Oh, no, that shame, the shame. So, so that worked, so that worked. So. But, but then you moved into, you worked on the market and you were a trader selling eggs. Well, from there I did, I, did, I did 12 months on ice cream and, you know, they were, it was a great time because in them days nobody had freezers no. and, and we hadn't got the supermarkets. You know, they weren't selling ice cream. You know, you could only get ice cream, ma'am, off the Italians on the van. Yeah. And... I were going round Wigan, now Wigan, the renowned big eaters, and they'd come out with bowls, give us 20 scoops. And I made a fortune 
I made a fortune. In them days, a working wage, I remember my mate's dad were working at Ed Bros, time-served engineer, and he ran £42 a week. Mm. And I were earning £100 a week on ice cream. And... And in 1920, that were a lot of money, wouldn't it? <laughs> 18, 1890. <laughs> and I used, to, I used to even go, I used to even go um, and park out, you know, uh, Ritzy, where yeah. pa- Pally were. Yeah. Well, well, you couldn't drink like you could in them days. And they were all doing this northern soul and dancing about yeah. it. And you have people. And, and he's gone on a Sunday night and park outside, Saturday night, Sunday night, park outside at 11 o'clock, half 10, 11 o'clock when they come out. And they'd all be like, oh, give us a nice, give yeah. a nice long lol, <laughs> a nice long lol, give us some ice cream, and I used to sell out. Yeah. And he used to go back up Cannon Street and old Louis with her with his cap and he'd be out with torch. <laughs> where the bloody hell have you been? And I used to say, never mind where I've been, Louis. Give me look, some more. Look, look at your gone. money. Look <laughs> yeah. at your money. You see, you're me top, man. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. I, I, when Sandy Holt was on here about three, four weeks mm. back, Sandy used to do Northern Soul dancing. Yeah, he was a yeah, champion. He, yeah, he, was, was, you know, yeah. he was even on telly yeah, as well. Yeah. He was interviewed. Yeah, he was. He did, he did all that sort of thing. So I sort of did, I did the ice cream job and my mother never stopped peckering me head off. It was like, you need a proper job. I had a drawer full of money. I mean, I mean, yeah. I found that income tax go back. Potatoes, it was all Anyway, um, so from there, she, she, she mired me and mired me to get a proper job. So I went to, um, I got a job at ICI at Blakely in Manchester, which yeah. kept her happy. Oh, her Lawrence is working for ICI and all the rest of it. Well, I went there. And it, it were a lesson learned in life. I hated it. Yeah. I hated were you it. in a factory situation? It, it, it was in the labs. Yeah. I was in lab. I was lab technician and all the rest of it. And I had to go to technical college. Now, the problem I'd had by then, I'd had 12 months of freedom. Yeah. 12 months of being my own man. And suddenly, it was just like being back at school. Yeah. First year again. Bottom of the rung, other ladder. Didn't do anything. Fix breaks, toilet yeah, breaks, yeah. all and this kind of thing. And I was just and people yeah. telling me what to do and having to count. There's like a, a system, you know, the chemists, the, 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 the renowned, were the top men and you, you, and you were right at the bottom. And by then, I got used to being, I'd got used to my freedom mm. and I was desperately unhappy, desperately unhappy. Yeah. To such a point, I was actually giving my parents a lot of grief at home. You know, like young lad, 19-year-old, because I was just going out at night and going crazy. Yeah. And uh, I always remember coming in, coming in one night, and my father sat there, about two o'clock in the morning, and my father sat there, and he said, lad, come in here in front of me, I won't talk to you. Oh, no, here we go. another rollicking. So I went in and said, sit down, he said. Right, he said, what's up with you? I went, What's up with me? Nothing. What do you mean, what's up with me? You know, your father and son attrition, which mm. we don't, we, we actually, as life went on, he, he became my best mate. Well, he became my best mate that night. But he said, uh, what's up with you? I said, nothing. He said, are you happy? I went, yeah, sort of. He said, are you happy at work? I said, what do you mean? He said, do you like your job? I said, do hell. I said, I hate it. I said, but who likes the job? When my dad was a self-employed market man, he yeah. said, I like my job. He said, I look forward to it every day. Do you not? I said, Dad, I wake up every morning feeling sick, yeah. having to go into Manchester. I absolutely hate the place. Mm-hmm. And he sat me down that night, and his father and son thing, he told me about his life. 
and he told me about his life. We had a really, first time ever, he sat there and he told me about his life and he said to me, you need to be self-employed like me. And it was my father who said to me, look, there's an opening in yeah. Bolton for selling eggs to shops, and loads of shops and butchers and that. Yeah. Why don't you have a go? Why don't you? Get yourself a van, I have a, I have a contact for eggs. Have a, have a go at wholesaling. And that's how I started off, left yeah. ICI, started off. Probably that bit of advice you got there changed the course of your life. Oh, and, yeah. And yeah. I know what it's like to do a job that you hate, where you feel like you're oh. dying inside. Every day you get up and yeah. you just, you, you, this anxiety, you just, yeah. you're depressed, anxious. I used to it's stand horrible. in that lab and there was a, a clock at the end and I used to not look at it and I think, I'll not look at it for an hour. Mm. And then when I'd look up, 10 minutes had gone past. Yeah. And I said, Dad, I'm waiting a clock going round all day long. And my father said to me, do you know I chase the clock all day? He said, I've that much to do. I'm forever chasing the clock. I'm never waiting at the clock. Yeah. I'm chasing the clock. And he just gave me this advice and got me and it got me set off from there. Yeah. yeah. You know. Good advice, yeah. Good yeah. advice. And and I did the eggs, did the eggs for a few years and then I started selling chickens as well. Frozen poultry, fresh poultry to butchers. Yeah. And that became big. That became bigger and bigger. And in the end I got rid of the eggs and concentrated and I bought some massive bird's eye refrigerated containers. Yeah. And I would Handling thousands and thousands of pounds. You, you don't know Mark Hayton, do you? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, Simon Hayton's like I was best man at his wedding. Yeah. His dad, yeah, no, lives Simon. In, yeah. yeah. Well, he, he lives in America now, Mark. Yeah. And yeah, Mark. Because he was on yeah. the markets, yeah. wasn't he? Oh, I dealt with Mark for years. Oh, I remember Mark. Yeah. 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 I uh, used to do his own one time at uh, first dressing shop, Mark. And, and Simon, I met Simon uh, quite a yeah. few times. Yeah. yeah. So, Mark Hayton, and I've, and I've got this poultry business, which is growing and growing. And then I. I got in with the Chinese. Now, the Chinese are fantastic people. And at the time, you've got to understand this was sort of 70s. Yeah. And, you know, things were different and people talked to people different. You know, it was a racist thing, I suppose, in a way. But people, the people who supplied the Chinese, especially the market men who supplied them with chicken, were really quite rude with them. Yeah. Really quite rough with them, you know, and, and, and didn't give them the service that they deserved. And I came in with a different attitude. First of all, well, first of all, I got a, a, a good supplier for they need big chickens because they could come cut, cut the meat off. They don't want small chicken, they want, you know, for the. Yeah. So I had a good supplier for big chicken, but also I treated them with respect. Yep. And, and, and they used to call me Bell. Bell, the last name's Bell, but Bell, Bell. And and if they were ever stuck, I would go out, throw some cases of chickens in the car and drive to wherever. And by this time, I was supplying chickens to takeaways from Manchester to Preston. Yeah. I had a hell of a business. Uh, well, that's why I packed in in the end. I burned out. But I dealt with these and give them a lot of respect. And the, 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 the product was good, but they liked... How I dealt with them, and every every t week, go to my cousin, my cousin, go and supply my cousin. Yeah, and it would just word of it, mouth like J.K. Rowling. Yeah yeah, 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 and it would just word of mouth, and I and I always remember one day, I went in, and the guy paid me, and I, and they used to always uh, wrap the money, the Chinese, nine ten pound notes with one over it. Yeah, so that was ten 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 pound. 10 pound, 10 pound. Yeah. 
and they used to, there weren't a lot of £20 notes around at that time. So they would come out, and if they owed you 300 quid, they would go, you know, and they'd count out the tens and give it to you. Yeah. Well, I always remember this guy who's talking to his wife, he said, uh, and he counts all this money out, and, blah, blah, and I just let him count the money because they were very honest with me, yeah. you know. And, uh, and I came outside, and I was just putting it in, I thought, I'm sure there's too much. And when I looked, he'd paid me double. Instead of paying me £200, he paid me £400. Yeah. So I went back, and I knocked on his door. And Mr. Mr. Chin, Mr. Chin, I think he was. I said, Mr. Chin, he went, what's up, Bell? I said, you paid me too much. And he looked at me. I said, here's the money you've given me. It's £200. You've given me £400. So I said, it, yeah. well, he couldn't believe it. Mm. He couldn't believe it there. And he said to me, you, you good man. And the best day of the year was going round Chinese New Year. Yeah. Because they were all drunk. They're all drunk. <laughs> all the time. They're all pie-eyed on Chinese beer. And everywhere I went, well, Bell, you have a beer. You have a beer. <laughs> Driving round. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, but they're great, great, great people. Mm. And, I, and I just went on from there. Lol, when you said you burnt out, do you mean that you overdid it because I you got, got so busy? I got to a point, I was married then to my first wife, Bernie. Uh, who, so this is bef before your hairdressers, this, isn't it? This is yeah. before I, uh, I was married to Bernie, who was a hairdresser. Yeah. And we set up a, a hairdresser's shop on Charlie Hill Road. Which is famous, by the way, Bernie Lawrence. Everybody no, this was there. before that. Oh. It was her own shop and it was near next to the A1 Chippy. Oh, up, right, up okay. A little I didn't know that, yeah. And she was very talented. The most talented hairdresser I've ever known was Bernie. Anybody who knows her will know what I'm saying. And we set her up on this one. And, and she was doing well, was doing really well and with staff in there. And I was like, I got myself to a point... I could have worked virtually 24 hours a day. I'd come in at night, nine o'clock at night after delivering, and my dad would be stood there with a list, give another 20 deliveries to, yeah. and I'd have set off Preston and Manchester again. I just yeah. burned and, and we were going out Saturday night, and I was conking out, and we'd yeah. go out with our friends, and everybody, we'd be sat at a restaurant, and at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, and everybody were used to this, I'd be at the end of the table, asleep, yeah. and we'd go to parties, and I'd be sat at the car, and I just... I'm a man, I have to have a change every so often. My, my, my sister historically said, I will orange changes his business about every nine or ten years. Yeah. And I'd had enough of it. Yeah. And I'd, I didn't know where I wanted to take it. And I actually wanted a change. Yeah. I'd done it for eight to nine it, years. It probably served its purpose. It gave you the cash to yeah, start something new. And, yeah. and at the t so I thought I'd pack in. And at the time, we're having a few staff problems with, within the hairdressers, Bernie's hairdressers. And I said to her, listen... I'll come in. We had market stalls, and I used to manage the market stalls for my father on weekends. So I was used to doing the managing thing. So I said, I said, I'll come in and manage the shop. And because and, she was that busy hairdressing, you know. Yeah. I'll manage the shop, and, you know, with about half a, <clears throat> half a dozen girls there working for us. And I said, we'll come. You had a moustache at the time. I had yeah, a moustache. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah, seen yeah, the yeah, pictures. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all had moustaches back in the 70s. We looked ridiculous. We all looked like Romanians. <laughs> I'll tell you what you can do, Lol. Yeah. Before we carry on with the, yeah. you're telling us, tell us the little story you told me about the moustache. We're at the Lion of Vienna and it's about acting and a famous actor. Oh, Sir Lawrence Olivia. Yes. Right. It's a story. <clears throat> I thought because this yeah, is no, just relevant. Yeah. yeah. Michael Caine. I always said it was in Michael Caine's autobiography. Michael Caine, obviously well-known actor, but the actor of the time, the absolute top actor in 
England was to Lawrence Olivia. Yeah. And they were doing, oh, what's the name of the film? There's two of them in it. There's only him and another. Not Sleuth, is it? Sleuth. Sleuth. Yeah. So he said, I'm, I'm acting with Sir Lawrence Olivia, you know, the man. And he said, it's a two, there's two of us, there's only two, there's no hiding place. He no, said, there's only two of them in the film, yeah, in there? the film. And he said, I've got to go up against him. And he said, I was really nervous. You know, I'm outgunned here. This man's going to blow me away. I've seen him perform on stage and screen. It's just unbelievable. So um, he said, so we go to the filming and the first day of filming and all the rest of it. And yeah. he said, and we come out and we start filming and all the rest of it. He said, well, I wiped the floor with Sir Lawrence Olivia. Mm. He said, even I knew I'd done it. He said, they kept having to cut, do it again. He wrote a sink. He wrote a balance. He couldn't handle it. So he said, so he said, we finished the day's filming and off we went. So second day, that they go on again. Filming doesn't work. Um, just doesn't work at all. And he thinks, what's up with this fella at all? He's a lot of Olivia. No, no. So on the third day, he said, well, I'm getting a bit cocky by then, aren't I? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, this film's good. I'm going to be the top man. He said, they came out for acting the third day and he's wearing a moustache. They've put a moustache on him. And he said, we started acting on the third day and he turned the tables and blew me completely out of the water. He was formidable. Yeah. So he, he said, I couldn't understand. So when we finished filming that night, he said, we went to, um, I went to his, to, his chain, to his dressing room, knocked on the door and he said, I went in and said, you know, yes, how are you doing, my boy, and all the rest of it. He said, yeah. can I just ask you something? He said, for two days, by your own admittance, things haven't been going well. He said, but today, you've just been phenomenal. And he said, yes, he said, I, 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 what did he do? I needed the moustache, you see. And he said, why, what's that about? He said, I'm an actor. I have to be somebody. And I can't be myself. And for the first two days, he was being he, he himself. Was being, and he, yeah. he, he had to have like a shield or, yeah. you know, it's like the costume or whatever yeah. they have to wear. But he had to wear on the moustache, just did it for him. Put it into character. He put him into character. Else. He said, yeah. you see me, but I can't play myself. Yeah. I have to be somebody. That's what I am, and I'm an actor. Yeah. I love that story. Yeah, and he yeah. had to step into somebody else's shoes. Yeah. Once, that's how we were trained, you know. It, mm. well, yeah. A good example of that is Robert De Niro. If you actually see him interviewed... Mm. He's quite a quiet, meek man yeah, and doesn't yeah. say very much. No. He can play phenomenal yeah. acting and play yeah. phenomenal characters, yeah. but he's actually, as himself, yeah. he's, 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 I wouldn't yeah. like to, I don't know how you say it, but yeah. he's not got a lot of personality yeah. when he's no. himself. He's a very quiet man. I once heard it, he was the same, you know, Alec McGuinness. Yeah. And he had very little to say, and he'd been on team films, and they just step into character yeah. and become this. Become exactly. This. I, I always remember I was in America, years ago, and I met uh, a couple of lads, and they, they did um, boating, um, ran, you know, like charter boats. Yeah. And they'd just been, I was down in Miami, and I was talking to them, and, they, and we were just talking, they said, yeah, we've had, we've just had a strange one. I said, well, they said, we've had uh, Jim Carrey for, right. for a week. He said, yeah. we've had him on a charter boat, just me and my mate and Jim Carrey. I said, I bet that's been a riot, auntie. He said, it's been a nightmare. And they said, I said, why? They said, for, and it's the same thing again, forget what he's like on screen. 
he's a manic depressive. Mm. He said, we had to go and sit with him every night mm. and have a drink with him to keep him, keep him up. He said, otherwise, we'd have gone round. He didn't even want to sit up back at boat. Yeah. Just wanted to be away on his own. I think, though, Jim Carrey's actually had a nervous breakdown, didn't I think he? He, has, he, he went through and he's, he's looks a lot happier now, yeah. but he's, he's moved, stepped, I don't know, he had a period of time where he stepped away from Hollywood, grew yeah. a big beard and yeah. reflected on his life and yeah. sort of... Because he was manic, weren't he? Yeah. He were, he, were, mm. he, were, he were manic, it was like... But it's strange, isn't it? So, yeah. So, lol, we're back at the hairdressers. So, we're, Bernie and Lawrence. So we're back at the hairdressers. So, you'd, you'd decided that you needed right. a break, a change so in career. I'm coming, I'm going to management. So, okay, I'm going to management. Now, it's an arrogance to think you can step into another business and just be a manager. So, and I had plans for this this shop. I thought, you know, this is good money. The ladies are addressing, we can go, we can make something of this. So what I did, I went on a course. Um, it was a six-month course, supposedly, but I said to her, I'll just go for a month or six weeks and, and, and I just find the ins and out. All I wanted was the education. Yeah. And it was like going on a Vidal Sassoon course or a Tony and Guy course. Yeah. It was The firm was called Pierre Alexander at the time, but they were very big in the 70s in Manchester. Massive, massive setup. So I went and I, and I could just do it. I just went to learn and and I could just... You found your groove? I found it, yeah. It's a strange thing. When I was at school, my best subject was woodwork. And I got an A-level in woodwork and, and, and my, my, my tutor, uh, Jim, uh, he said to me, you've got it, you've got it. And there's something in my hands, the woodwork, and I think it crosses over to the hairdresser. But I've always been... If somebody shows me how to do something... yeah. I can somehow do it. I have a mate of mine who were a plasterer, and we were, when we were plastering one of my shops, I were helping him, and he went, do you want to do it, this? And I went, yeah, he said, go on. He said, I'll show you, and he showed me this water. And at first, you're just scraping, and then you realise, no, it's the water. And we got the water, and I did, and suddenly I got it. And when you've got it, the float, it floats because you have a surface of water, and that's yeah. what gives the smoothness of plastic. It's not the edge of the metal, yeah. it's the pressure of the water. And he mm. said, I don't believe it, you've got it. And I'm like, yay! Hey. And he went, how have you picked that up that quick? And I just, and yeah. anyway, I got to Pierre Alexander, and after a couple of weeks, and I befriended, there was a guy there called Kuichi, who was Japanese, and his, his family owned a chain of hairdressers in Japan. Yeah. And he came over to be a tutor, but also to learn Japanese. And I was older at the time. I was sort of mid-twenties, I think I was. I think I was about 25, 26. And the rest of the kids there were only 16, and they were just mucking about, and parents had paid for half of them and all the rest of it. Yeah. But me and, me and this Japanese guy, Koichi, was a great, quite a shy guy, actually. Now, when all the models used to come and the customers used to come in, you know, it was like a reduced rate. You could have a haircut for a quid, at a really, you know, because they were used as models. Yeah. He used to ask the ladies what they wanted. Now, his English weren't that good, and I could see him struggling, and he was also slightly embarrassed about it. So what I did, I stepped in with him. So when the lady sat down, I said to him, I said, Mr. Quinchy would like to, to know what, what, what you would like to do. So he would tell me. Now, I somehow picked up some sort of pidgin Japanese that he understood. Yeah. And when I would sort of tell him what they were, and he, and he would like, and he said to me, 
you, you're really helping me. I really appreciate what you, what you had. Because the rest of the kids were just mucking about it, right? And we would go to be like 10 clients come in and I, we would go to each one and I would tell him exactly what, what she wanted in this sort of pigeon. Uh, and he was really good. And in, in thanks for that, he took me to one side and he showed me the cutting and he showed me what the angles were about. And he also introduced me to Japanese scissors. Yeah. And left-handed Japanese scissors because I'm left-handed and the blades are set a different way. And Japanese scissors, the good ones, really good. I mean, you pay £500 a pair for them. They're, right. they're made by the people who made the samurai swords. I was going to say, yeah. They're, they're, they're a fantastic. You know, when you get yeah. them, you can shave. You can shave. Your, that's always a sign of a good scissor. You can shave your, shave your arm with them. And he said to me, Lawrence, you, you, you understand this. I understand the geometry and the corners and the weight and the weight. It's like a, a joiner dealing with wood, you know, a certain wood, you know, pine will do one job, mahogany will do another. And it's all about everybody's her texture. And it were ladies' her dressing at the time. Everybody's her dresses. Her does different things, finer, thicker, and it's up to you to take that, that material and make it work for that lady. Do you know what we've had so far? We've had Chinese, Italian and Japanese impressions. I'm expecting, I'd like French and Spanish before the show's over, please. <laughs> I don't know if you do it as we, we're travelling around the world. Yeah, it's well known. If I do a Pakistani accent, it ends up being Welsh. I was saying, if a Pakistani says Aberystwyth, it comes out as Welsh. Right. <laughs> Aberystwyth. <laughs> Go on. Anyway, so, so, that, that. so I went... And it just took over my life, Patrick. It just, the hairdressing thing. And my first wife, Bernie, she was, it was her life too. She just absolutely, yeah. she was a phenomenal hairdresser. In the 80s, yeah. Yeah. like I say, in Bolton, yeah. Bernie and Lawrence was the, the yeah. benchmark yeah. for... Well, we got in. What I used to do on the Saturdays... I would be at the, the... You couldn't get in. If you wanted yeah, to get a book yeah. in, you couldn't... I remember my mum and my sister always wanted yeah, to go and you have to book weeks yeah. in advance. Well, the original... When, I, when I, I was at the training, I started on the Saturdays working in our little first little shop and I was so keen that suddenly I were booked up every Saturday. Yeah. It, it came that quick to me. Customers just... I could just do it. So from there... We were on a lease and I decided we need to buy our own place and we bought Bernie and Lawrence down at the bottom of Charlie O' Road. That's where I remember and that's it, yeah, where, And that's yeah. where it all... It was much uh, bigger though. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it went, uh, big. Two floors, wasn't it? And two floors with 15 girls working for us and it, we just did... We specialised in black hair. We yeah. first, first selling outside London to specialise black hair. And when Black Hair and Beauty magazine came out, big colour edition, the first edition... We were centre spread. They did a. They came up from London and did a. Not a London salon. Did a first, 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 and we did all her dressing shows. Yeah, I remember and, that yeah, as well. All yeah. the dressing shows and and the lads, the dancers, and and all, all sorts. We did umpteen shows, and they were always sellouts. They were, they yeah. were, they were great. We did shows in clubs and all sorts. All her dressing. It was, it was, it was, ten years of complete. Well, it was, again, I burned out in the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, it, you know. A great period, but it yeah. seems whatever you do, you, you get to the point where you accelerate to that much where mm. you can't keep up with you demand. Can't, can't, no, yeah. you can't. It, it would just, it, it would just, well, in a way, it sort of, it cost me my marriage because it, it, yeah. it, it would just, we were just, Head on all the time, and I think Bernie burned out as well. Yeah. You, uh, yeah. you remarried and had another couple of kids, is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I went on to, 
I did 10 years at Bernie and Lawrence, and then I packed in, I sold it to Occasion Cakes, but I retained the property on the side, yeah. which became my barber's, barber's shop, yeah. which I... Um, I lived in for quite a while. It was an house, and me and Russ Campbell knocked it down and turned it into a shop. Yeah. That's another story. But um, but from there, when I packed in, I was on burnout, and my father had died, and and it really mm -hmm. shook me. Yeah. It, it, it to this day, it, it still shakes me. Still, yeah. and it just and I had a, the burnout with the shop. It had just got too much. And, you know, Is that and, where you went to the USA? And then? I went to America, yeah. and I did six months round America. I'd love to do that. Uh, yeah. And it just, I had to clear my head, Patrick. Yeah. And, I, and I'll teach you. Did you I, travel, motorbike or any I'll car? Greyhound bus most right. of the places because yeah. I wanted to deal with people. Did you go on your own, Lawrence? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, went all around. I flew out to San Francisco and I was in San Francisco for a couple of weeks. And then out of the blue, I found a flight, would you believe it? No, it did. I, would, I was actually going to go to um, Los Angeles. And at the time, it was very violent. Yeah. And the, the people I met in... Um, yeah, the Crips and the Buds oh, and all that. all this, all this caper. Yeah. And the people in San Francisco who I met, they said to me, you're going to Los Angeles? I said, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just backpack, no care. I said, Lawrence, let us tell you about Los Angeles. It's 40 square mile of urban blight. Mm. And the, the famous places are dotted about, but in between... It's ghetto land. And, and they said, you will get robbed, attacked and possibly murdered. They said, without doubt, there's no, there's no, we won't go to Los Angeles. Certainly not. You need a car and need to know your hurries. You cannot wander around Los Angeles. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd only been out there a couple of weeks and I thought, this, this is not really a good idea, Lawrence. These yeah. are people that's telling you. And if you do get robbed, it's, it's game over. You know, you're coming home. So I was sat at a cafe one day, um, reading a newspaper, and I came, I just saw a flight to Hawaii, and it, it, $100, Ooh. and at Ooh. the time, a dollar was 50p, 50 quid. Yeah. And I just... Hawaii, yeah. And I thought, Hawaii, which is an American state, I thought, yeah. $100. So I got on the phone. There was a, you know, the phone kiosk, and I said, hey, hey. I said, I'm just, uh, I'm just ringing you up. I said, I've just seen your habit in the newspaper, uh, blah, blah, blah. Flights hundred dollars to Hawaii. I said, I'm not. And San Francisco's a massive place. I said, yeah. I'm not being funny. I said, Are you local? I said, Because if you are, I'll come and see you. If not, it doesn't matter. Because I don't know San Francisco, and there are bad areas in San Francisco as, as well. So she said, Right, where are you? So I said, Right, I'm on the corner of blah blah blah. She burst out laughing. She said, There's a building across from you, high building. She said, Aluminium. They all have aluminium doors. Aluminium doors. Such and such a building. I went. Yeah. She said, that's us. Come in there, 18th floor. Oh, she meant some time travel. And, uh, and she said, come in, see. So I said, right. So I finished my coffee and walked across. And then I walked in. Up I went. Walked in. I said, hello there. She said, oh, hi. There was her and there was a, there was a, a coloured lady with her. Two, two, young, two young women. And she came over this one. She, she said, hi. I said, I've just rung you. Oh, yeah. She said, you're the guy with the accent. <laughs> So I looked at her. I said, what do you mean, the guy with the accent? She said, you know, your funny accent. I went, no, 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 no. No, you've got the funny accent. <laughs> and she laughed. She went, I don't get you. I said, where am I from? She said, England. I said, so I'm English, yeah? I said, and where are you from? 
said, America. I said, but lo- what language do you speak? She said, English. Oh. <laughs> I said, you're the ones with the accent. So I booked the flight and off I went to Hawaii. And yeah. I, I hired a motorbike on Hawaii. One of the yeah. most carefree times in my life. I had a couple of I'd weeks over there. Yeah. And I had this motorbike, and all I had on every day were a pair of flip-flops, a pair of shorts, a pair of shades, mm. and a towel stuck on back. And I went all around the island, day after day. Saw Pearl Harbor as well, were I? All around, day after day, around, around the island. Just and on I, the beach, swimming, the yeah, eating. Yeah, surfing. Yeah. Don't, don't even ask me about <laughs> surfing. That was another disaster. I nearly killed myself. <laughs> but I can remember some, there was some... Big old tree that only grows in Hawaii and it was on the beach. And I sat there on my own one afternoon, Patrick, and they're watching the waves coming in. And it all fell into place. I'd have never got the shot right with the management because I was too busy working it yeah. and everything. And all my life, it was strangely small. I, I, it's I, like an I, epiphany, like uh, a moment of absolutely. clarity. Absolutely. I just yeah. saw it. It was like somebody had drawn back curtains. And, it, and I knew straight away I'd done the right thing. Yeah. You know, the shop had got too big for me. Yeah. I'd run out of steam, I would burn out. And, yeah. and, and I just, and it, it was, it was an epiphany. I was just sat, and I'll never forget that, sat under that beach just with the waves coming in. And it was just like somebody opening yeah. again. And it gave me a certain amount of peace over my father as well, yeah. you know. And, and that was just where it went. And from there I went round America, crossed America, went down to San Diego and went up to Salt Lake City yeah. and, and went across and ended up... Um, with friends of mine, you know, went through Texas and Dallas. Well, I went to Dallas, so for knowledge for one of the books. I didn't know at the time, but it's where Kennedy got shot. Ah, Never yeah, knowing that yeah. I was going to write a book with it, which would include the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. But yeah. I'd been there. I'd been up the library tower. Even then, up the library tower, I knew Oswald had never shot no, Kennedy. No, no, no. Not well, a chance. But not it, a chance. It's common knowledge it's now, isn't not, it? No, no, not no. a chance. Yeah. And I walked around and I, well, it's in the, you know, I've written it, I've just yeah. written it. But to me, the, I think there were two or three involved, but there were, where you would shoot him from was the grassy, the famous grassy knoll. Yeah. Without doubt, without doubt. But, but that's that. But it, it gives me that, I always had that story in my head, you know, yeah. I've been there. So I went around America and ended up in Miami. Had a few crazy months down there with my mates and then uh, came back. Knocked down the shop, opened it up, started the barber shop. Yeah. Me and uh, my second wife got together. We had my children, and I got married. Where did the taxi driving fit in? Ah, when I come back from America, yeah, I decided right, we're knocking this place down, and you know, I got a few quid at bank to pay for things, and but you know, you need that money. And I thought, right, in between this. I need just a little cash earner, just to pay for my beer money. Yeah. And could, you know, cash So I thought, well, what should I do? I'll be a taxi driver. That's easy. I can, I'm flexible. I can drop off, start when I want, finish when I want, yeah, whatever. So I passed my taxi test and I went working for telecars. Yeah. Now, apparently, I used to do the manager of uh, telecars. And a, a great lad, stay. And he said to me, I used to cut his hair at barber shop. And he said to me, do you know, you're still a legend after all these years in our shop. I said, am I really? He said, yeah, Lawrence. There's always this story. He said, we've had drivers come. They've stayed two or three weeks and they've just done a month. But he said, you are famous for doing one day. (laughs) 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 And I did one day. And they had one day of how much? 
every this that morning. And if you notice, and I, I never do this, I treat taxi drivers with a, I treat everybody with a lot of respect. But but people talk down to taxi drivers. It's one of them. They talk down to them. Where have you been? I mean, the, the guy's ticking you to where you want. Yeah. And then I had a big row with one guy and threw him out at cab, physically threw him out at cab. He called me the B word. Where have you been? Well, if you're a taxi driver, as soon as you dropped off, they tell you your next drop. They don't know, they don't tell you the bloke's been waiting for you yeah. an hour, an half an hour. So, so anyway, at end at night, I, I, uh, I was driving two guys. For, for, I always remember up Bury Road and I was taking them down to Pack Horse and we're having a laugh and it was only about seven o'clock at night and it was a warm night. It was sunny wind and they were laughing and joking. They said, Hey, Lawrence, you're funny. They said, why don't you dump this car? I said, I've just started this. I said, I'm not right happy with you. They said, oh, dump the car. Come on the beer with us. <laughs> said, so, so I said, oh, I said, can't, I'm driving. Well, we'll be at Pack Horse for the next hour. Blah, blah, blah. And I dropped them off at Pack Horse. And they said, hey, we'll be here for an hour. And, you know, uh, telecars were just down Bank Street. Yeah. It? And I, my head went. I thought, I could kill a beer. I don't want to do this anymore. I hate it. And if this is what it's like during night, what's night going to be like with yeah. drunks? I'm going yeah. to end up fighting. God, you know, when I was younger, I was daft. So I thought, I just drove back, took car back walking. She went, what do you want? I went, no fallouts. I said, here's all your money. Here's, all, here's your keys and everything. There's your car back. I won't be coming back. She said, you only started 11 o'clock this morning. It's only 7 o'clock. I said, and that's been long enough. <laughs> so I went back to pack horse and walked up with these two blocks. We all got pie. I've had a great night. So, yeah. So, okay, so from there, uh, came back. We knocked the shop down. We rebuilt it, during which time uh, my wife got pregnant. We had a first yeah. child, our Grace. Uh, went on to have a second child, uh, Matthew. And that settled, and we got a house. Uh, we bought a house as well, bought a house. Um, and that sort of settled me down. And, you know, I'd made the decision. Well, life makes a decision for you. I've got children now. I've got responsibility. I've got a wife. We've got a nice house. We, know, we live the life. So, and that's that's what, what I did. And I yeah. stuck with the business up to retiring, really. Yeah. Which was how many years ago, though? I retired three years ago. Okay. Three years ago. At that point, when you retired, you'd only had written the first book, is that right? Or no, you'd I'll done the second I'll as well? I'll tell you the story of how the books came about. And it will just say, before yeah, you get into it, on. there's four books. And yeah. as we're going through, maybe tell us a bit about each book. I certainly know quite a bit about the first and second book, yeah. but not the third and fourth. Right. And... The joke we had in the pre-show chat was the fact that when you did Shiny Scissors, I think a lot of people were on pins because they thought, I hope he's not written about me in there because you were the confidant, weren't yeah, you? People yeah, had come to the, your barbers and yeah. tell you all the yeah. secrets, yeah. Well, how it, it came about, I unfortunately, uh, I went through a difficult divorce uh, with my second wife and it, it was about probably 2012 and... Um, We'd split up. My kids still live with me. Yeah. Um, it was a difficult time and I wasn't going out. I felt I couldn't go out to leave my kids, especially my son who was, who was quite young at the time. I wasn't prepared to, you know, they were my main priorities. So suddenly I had time on my hands. Now, back in my head, I'd always felt like writing something, but life's that busy. You just don't fit it in. You know yeah. what you've got to say. But yeah. suddenly, 2012... I had time somehow. 
And it's a strange thing, Patrick. I don't remember starting writing. I don't remember starting writing. If you could say with a date, what made you start? I haven't a clue. I do not remember starting writing that movie. I just started writing. And I worked from the... You know, the premise of the book, Shiny Scissors, is, as everybody knows, everybody tells you stories at the hairdressers. Everybody tells you stories. And I, I get loads. Of, and in my shop, it was one-on-one, so I get to, yeah. you know, everybody's problems are one thing and another. So the book is every story... There's a base basis to it. I mean, they always laughed. I said the names have been changed to protect the innocent. But I what that, I did, yeah. I, I took the I took the the basic story, and and enveloped, you know, made it bigger and turned it into a fictional yeah. story. And and in every story, there is a twist in the tale. So there's a basis of truth in, in most in of those stories. Yeah. Yeah. And and some of the, those stories, the stories from people who have unfortunately passed away now, but older people, you know, people who mm. fought in wars, yeah. and the stories that. The, they told me were remarkable and the repercussions after the war you know like pregnancies and people coming back and the wives and the, yeah. and, and things that's happened during a the lot war. of blokes came back from the war and couldn't talk because they all no. had ptsd but it yeah. wasn't a thing then no nobody no, knew no, and they were all in no. shock yeah. and they went quiet I mean, the first world war they were shooting them for cowardice weren't they yeah. and it was shell shock it was yeah. terrible and there was there was a lot of suicides yeah. that never yeah. really oh, yeah. got brought yeah. to the yeah. forefront yeah. you know yeah and and a lot of stories that people have told me, which there's an anchor of the truth, but every one of embellished them have, it have yeah. embellished it and, and, and made it funny and put a twist on every on every and every tale. It says here, I can't I can't remember what I've written now, it's that long ago. Hairdressers are people who know something about everybody and everything about somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. You know what I mean? And because it's it was one on one and in my shop, you know, I had guys coming in having marital problems and financial problems and secrets that they couldn't tell the wife. You know, they were losing their yeah. houses and the wives didn't know. And I, you know, in many cases, I, I got one that, you know, like, you, you just need to pay some of your mortgage just because you've got behind. If you pay them something, they can't. A lot of people don't know this. You get behind with your mortgage. If you give them £10 a week, you go to court, they can't throw you out of your house. So if you pay nothing... Mm. You know, just little bits of advice. People come in and said, Lawrence, I got I said, but the first thing you need to do is tell you why. Well I've got I've got spots on me uh my bits, where do I go and <laughs> all of that. Yeah. yeah, all sorts of things from even from, you know, I'm going bold. Yeah. No lad's really upset and said to him that you know, I had customers come in out to the blue, my mates told me, Come here, I'm going bold. What do I do? And they got it sideways and oh, all said, said to him, listen. Leave it with me. He being a customer, leave it with me. I'll sort it out. Should I have a number one all over? Well, they got one. I said, no, no, you're drawing attention to it then. I said, leave it with me over several haircuts. I'll take it shorter and shorter and shorter and nobody will, will ever notice. Mm. And, and people, great, and nobody ever did. Which if, you just, if you're going bold and you go in and you have a number one all over, you're making... Yeah. What the hell One thing with me though, I've ne- never troubled me. I just, I was going bald at 19, me shaved my head, and that me was neither. the end of it. Me, me yeah. I have to tell you the story. I was, I, I was going bald at about 19 and burning a wisdom. And it was a particular time, those Kevin Keegan years, she said, I know what I'll do. She said, I'll give you a curly perm. <laughs> so, that's it somewhere. God only knows where there might be a picture of me with a curly perm. I look like bloody apple. 
up or Groke, you know, Groke Shaw, Mark, yeah, you know, yeah, what's yeah. his name? <laughs> Mark's brother's wit curlier. And that lasted, I ended up, my father were horrified. I think he thought I'd turned. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that lasted about a week. I said, shaving off, and from that, that was the same best thing ever did. Don't, yeah. don't ever worry about your hair. No. Don't ever worry about your You know that two shows ago, I did a show naked, which has yeah. been heard yeah. now. And that was all about the fact that I don't look great in my clothes yeah. off, but it shouldn't matter. Yeah. You know? Shall I tell you something now? A lady once said to me, I was cutting a row, and I was laughing. I said, Oh, they're bold, you know, like me. She said, Yeah, my husband's like you. She said, He's like you. And she looked at me. Greatest advice going I've sent to loads of blokes, but this, this woman said to me, Shall I tell you something, Lawrence? She said, About being bold. She said, Do you know there's two things women detest? She said, One's the comb over, and yeah. she said, the other is the toupee. You remember when people yeah. used the toupees? She said, we absolutely detest and laugh. She said, a bloke comes in with a toupee. She said, we're all nudging each other. She said, shall I tell you something about women? She said, we're not bothered about her. It's the man underneath the her that matters. Yeah, good advice. And I thought, what a great mm. statement. She mm. said, it's the person under the her, the man who's under that, that her that matters to us, not your her. Yeah. So... Exactly. So, so book two, lol, Pavel's Gift. Now, this is interesting because it's, if I've got this right, mm. it's about Tsars and Russian history yeah. and, and unla yeah. an unlikely topic I would have thought yeah. that you'd write about. But It was my first book and I wrote it. And every book's taken me about two years to write. And I wrote Shiny Scissors and I, I wrote it. Right, okay, I've, I've done it. And I looked at it thought, it's okay. Now, I made the fatal mistake of giving it, A, to a friend to read. I always say, never give it to your friend or a relative. And I give it to a friend or a relative. Yeah. Of course, he said, oh, it's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. no, you need... So, at yeah. that point, now, I have a friend of mine, a guy called Les Smith, who's a playwright, wrote about 20, 30 plays, been performed at Octagon. He wrote that early one morning. You know, mm -hmm. it's a World War One yeah. play. And, and he also, Les... Uh, he taught um, writing, at um, creative writing at Manchester University. Right. So he's the man, yeah. you know, he's the man. And he came out, and Les has always been a really good friend of mine. And I said to him, came in, I said, Les, can I have a word with you? I said, what? I said, I've written a book. I said, will you have a look at it for me? And he went, yeah, yeah, of course I will. I said, it's, I told him what it is and all the rest of it. So at the end of it, rolling, you know, in day four in, in a folder. So he said, yeah, he said, give me about a week. So so a week later, he came through the door and just finishing a customer and he's got his folder. And I said to him, hiya, you know, and we, you know, we all want to be J.K. Rowlands yeah. and, we all, and we all love praise, don't we? So he came in. I said, what do you think? He said, I'll tell you what I think. He said, your stories are fantastic. I said, really? He went, your stories are absolutely great. So I'm like, you know, just basking in this yeah, glory. Yeah. And he said, but let me tell you something. Your writing's not. Your writing <laughs> is terrible. Yeah. I said, yeah. what do you mean? He said, how you're writing it is it's just, you're writing, Lawrence, so you're, you're talking. And he said, it's not working right. You're missing your flow. It's just not in fiction. It's, and you, You've just, you've just, it's not right. So he said, you need to rewrite it. I said, which bit? He said, all of it. <laughs> That's said, not what you want to read, is it? What? 
Two said, years of my life in that book. Two years of my life in that said, rewrite all of it. He said, you need to seriously sit down and rewrite it. He said, this tale's a good book. Just look at it again, how you're thinking it. It's not. Think about all the books you've written. It's not. It's not working. Right. And he said to me, can I tell you something? He said, I once rewrote a play 15 times to get it right. Yeah. He said, it's, a, it's the rewriting that makes it work. And he said... That's the important thing. He said, your stories are right. He said, but your writing's not good enough. And and you've got about to, this is a man who teaches creative writing. You've got around, you know, it's an arrogance to think, no, I'm right, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I sat down and I started to read it again. And I got it. I got it what he meant. There were too yeah. many breaks and it just yeah. weren't. Okay. And I actually sat down and I rewrote the full book four times. Four more times till I, I felt I got it right. Do you know from Pills to Peace, do you yeah. know what revision I was on when I finally finished that book? Go on. Um, revision 103. Honestly. Revision 103. Yeah. And each one, there weren't mild changes. Yeah. It was from back yeah. to front, yeah. from start to finish, yeah. going through every single part of that yeah. book. And it was a, it just went on yeah. and on and on. Yeah. But yeah. I if mean, you want the quality, you've no, got to... You you've, I mean, I, I probably... The, that book, it was the beginnings of me learning my craft. Yeah. It was the beginnings of me learning my craft, you know. And, and it I went. Is your craft now, because yeah. you're, you're a prolific yeah. author. And, yeah. I, and, I, and also at the time in the publishing, the publishers, they use bad proofwriters, and there are old mistakes in Chinese. I mean, yeah. now I use a, a friend of mine, he lives in Spain, a guy called Colin McMorris, who proofreads for me. And he's, not only is he proofreader, he's very critical. It's yeah. Colin, and he's honest. And he, he would, he would, yeah. he would, and, and, it, if there's certain things that he feels I've missed, he'll pick up on it. Yeah. But I, it just... I had what they call a soft edit, which basically means they, they didn't look at the content yeah. because yeah. I wanted the content to do exactly as it yeah. was. But what they did is look for past the correct tense yeah. Yeah. and just your paragraph structure yeah. and your punctuation. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. But even that was expensive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I know. Well, I, I, I think I was badly proofwritten on my first one and, and the printers made all the mistakes yeah. too, but... It's like my mate said, you're all over it, you go with the story. Yeah. You know, if there's it, a... you've, you've got, there has to be a point. When I wrote my book, there's got to be a point where you just let go. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah. your book will never happen. No, no. So, I, well, after the fourth time, I thought, at that particular, I can't, I can't yeah. do this, I can't write, I can't get any better. I can't. It's and, like when yeah. I prepped this studio for yeah. doing this video podcast, yeah. two months I spent setting the studio up, yeah. the lighting wasn't quite right yeah. and the angles weren't yeah. quite right. And it's then a the personal thing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And I went on and on and there came yeah. a point where I thought, if I don't start filming yeah. now, you yeah. know, and so two months of prep before mm. I filmed the first show because yeah. I, I wasn't happy with yeah. it. Eventually now, each show that passes, you, you, you yeah. just improve a bit, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Gradually then. Well, I, I wrote Shiny Scissors and, you know, it got well received. And people said to me, are we having a Shiny Scissors too? And I said, no, I can't. I wrote the stories I wanted to write. Yeah. I always think if you do a two, it's a pale version of, and you immediately yeah. get, oh, it's not as good as the first. Yeah. So I went on to write Pavel's Gift. Tell us the gist of that, because like I say, it, when I uh, was told about it and read the back, uh, I thought, how does Lawrence write this? Where did it come from? You know, it's such a, well, most a different book, period. I and, mean, I do a lot of research, but most of my books, I've been to it, I've been there. Pavel's Gift, it's based in Russia. I've never been to Russia in my life. Yeah. But I started writing that book. It starts off with a hidden piece of jewellery. It's a builder who finds a piece of jewellery wrapped up in the rafters of a building. Is this now or is this years this is, ago? No, this is now. Right, my book, it, A lot of my books, they forward to go back. Yes. They forward to go back. And it's a, he finds a missing piece of jewellery, 
with phenomenal piece of jewellery and uh, written in, in uh, within uh, the envelope that, and the box it's written in is, you, c- this, you can have this jewellery, uh, um, something like that. Uh, it's yours. It's, um, and he, the guy with his wife, um, they take it to a jeweller's, an historic jeweller's, and the guy knows historic jewellers, and it turns out to be something who's made by a, a Russian jeweller who worked for Fabergé who ended up in England after the revolution. And then the book, from the, the start of it, you know, this, 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 that's the first chapter about finding this. The, yeah. And the guy who finding his wife's blind, and that's another part of the story. But it then goes back to the 1800s, to a family in Russia. And it's actually, they're in the wood trade and the wood business and, the, and builders. And it's, it's a tale of that family and the son who becomes a master joiner is called Pavel. Ah. Now, Pavel is an absolute genius with wood. Yeah. And he goes and works for the finest cabinet maker in Russia and makes all these... And he marries this, this woman. And, they, and there's a long story about Pavel and Pavel's gift, which is all separate. But they have a son. They have two sons. One son goes into the, the timber trade. This very successfully takes over the company, the, the the furnishing company where he made it. But there's one son. His talents, Vasily, is another way, and his talent is jewelry. Right. And he ends up, and his mother realizes he's never going to be in the wood, but realizes he's got this artistic side to him, and she takes him off to work for a, a jeweler's, one of the main jewellers, not Fabergé, but he gets lifted from Fabergé and his his talent. And Pavel's gift is actually, it's not the ring, Pavel's gift is the talent, the talent he had in wood. Yeah. He passed on to his son, the artistic talent in jewellery. Got you. And and this guy becomes this phenomenal jeweller working for this this Jewish guy. And and from there, um, he gets... Moved on to Fabergé. Did, did Pavel's gift take longer to write than, say, Shiny Scissors? Because it's basically twice as long. Yeah. The, all my books take me about two years. Even irrelevant of the... Of the size of yeah. the content. Pavel's gift, I just loved writing that book. I can't tell you. I just yeah. absolutely... I've read l- bits of it. I haven't read the whole yeah, book. I and love, from what yeah. I've read, it's it's like you got lost in it. You know, yeah, you... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did... I, I, and, well, from there, he goes and works for Fabergé and he gets involved with the Romanovs, the, the royal family, and gets embroiled with them and it, it tied in with them and there's a romance and then the Russian Revolution starts and, and he ends up back in England where... And then it goes back to Australia where this fantastic opal's found and an Ab- Aborigine finds this. And, and there's a story there about how the opal ends up in London and this Vasily... He, he he ends up in London working for this jewellers and the opal arrives and he takes it and makes it into this phenomenal ring. Now the ring from there gets moved on through different families, it gets robbed, it gets stolen, it causes murders yeah. and all sorts of the disruption. And that's why in the end it's so bad. The guy who steals it hides it because he's... He ends up doing a murder and he puts it in the loft and says, this has been a disaster. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's the story. But I just, I just, 
and, and in the end, the Russians won it back, and they won it back, and it goes into the, this this couple who bought it. Um, they end up down in London at the auctions, and there's a there's a big power fight on that. Uh, the Arabs want the the, the ring. Uh, because it's his famous ring, and the 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 the, um, the Russian is is an oligarch, which is based on. He's called in my book. He's called Verkel, but it's based on the guy who owns the Fabergé Museum now in St. Petersburg. Right. So it's all, there's a lot of research going on for it. Yeah, they, I I, yeah. I know from in from Pills to Peace. There's yeah. the second chapter of that book yeah. where I I had to reference everything because I caught yeah. a lot of facts and figures. Yeah. The amount of work in that was, oh, it the, took me... The research, I do a lot of research. Twice as long as anything else I'd written. I do mm. loads and loads of research. Mm. People say to me, where you get your research from? I research all my books, yeah. all of it, you know. The next couple, Lol, give us a brief uh, description of those. So you've got eagles and red poppies. Yeah, that is about, he's a, a Polish guy. Uh, it's before, uh, well, really, before the, the starting of the, the Second World War. And he's a he's he's a trained Polish marksman. He's going to go. He's a young lad, going to go into the Olympics, and through a series of events, he gets married. Um, going to be a marksman. It's all about his family. Yeah. There's a lot of upset in the family, and um, the Nazis move in to 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 Poland, and you know a lot of the Polish they went on the Nazi side, and they you know they, they sent a lot of their own. To Auschwitz and, and right. places like that. Anyway, through a series of events, these these is the Nazis, the Polish turned Nazis. They have him and his family arrested and shipped off to Auschwitz. Right. And there's a bit more goes on than yeah. that, but he manages to escape. And then your latest book, yeah. Black Apple, that's based around nine eleven. Right. So yeah. is that is that. Which one refers to the JFK murders? It must be Black Apple. No, Eagles and Red Poppies. Oh, right, okay. Eagles and Red Poppies goes on. And he escapes and he comes back. He escapes out to the train and, and gets back to his native city and, and he catch, catches up with the, the guys who... But there's a long lot of stories in between. Yeah. But he catches up with the guys who's, who doused, dumped his family in it and, and, and sorts them out. And then he ends up, he runs to, ends up, Going via Gibraltar, travels through Europe, part way through Europe, and gets to, from Poland to Gibraltar, and get manages to get himself on a boat, gets himself over to England, and the the British government realise what he can do, and and they use him as a, a, a sniper, mm. and they send him out as a sniper, and his life goes on from there, and then his life goes, and he's used by governments all over the world to to take. To take that now, there's an incident happens where he finds part of his family, but he gets used again by well, it's the CIA, uh, not the CIA, the, the FBI and the mafia, and he gets embroiled in the Kennedy assassination. Right, and 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 uh, this member of family is tied up in prison, and the mafia are going to do him, and the only way he can, they'll let him out, they did a deal. The the, the government is. The, the shady side of it yeah. um, was um, you get involved in the in the Kennedy assassination, and it's how, how it ends from there. And then give us a quick synopsis of Black Apple. 
Black one. Apple. Is, so this is your new book. Just, this is just my new out. one that, that's out. Now, it's it's based during the time of 9-11. It's not all about 9-11. 9-11's the incident in it. But it's uh, it's really, it's a, a guy, he's a love story, really. He's, well, they're all love stories, my books, but there is... He's actually living in Barcelona. He's a banker, lives in Barcelona, yeah. this guy, and he gets tied up with a, a major embezzling thing. They were trying to use his bank for drugs money, and he gets manipulated and he meets this woman, and it's an absolute nightmare. And he has to flee uh, from Barcelona, and he flees to New York where he has a friend of his who works in a bank, and he starts his career once again in the banking world in New York, but he gets pulled into insider trading right. gets pulled into this insider trading thing and all the upset that you now in the middle of this and there's different people involved in the bank who are different parts of and there's one guy there he's an arab who's living a double life that nobody knows about and he's launching and it's all very quite complex but it's the time of 9-11 and it's how 9-11 affects everything from right. there because 9-11 yeah. was the worst thing I've ever known for humanity out, out outside a declared war. Yeah, uh, 9-11. I mean, I, I went to New York and I went up the Trades Towers and I dined at a restaurant at the top called Window on the World, mm. <coughs> and you actually yeah. looked down on Statue of Liberty like this this statue, and I went in that building and dined up there at a just unbelievable building, and you never thinking that anything like that could ever ever happen. Yeah. So and it affected me a bit personally. You know, and also I had a friend of mine who was actually in the trade towers the day before yeah. and, and he missed it by one day. Just, yeah. Yeah. Just. So, Lol, if somebody wants to buy your books, yeah. where do they go? Is it is it Amazon? Amazon, Amazon and, and Kindle, and they're on Kindle as well. Amazon and Kindle. And they're on Kindle. Yeah. And yeah. they're in paperback and the electronic And format. the electronic, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. And okay. They're just available there. Lol Bell, I think we've come to the end of the show. Right. It's been... An absolute pleasure. Great. My mate, Lol. Yeah, absolutely. And I've loved having you on. Yeah. And I'd expect yeah. at least... I thought there'd be beer, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is where he got me, he bribed me, he said, we'll have a case of beer. No. I'm expecting at least another 10 or 15 books out of you. I've, I've started, I'm, I'm starting writing another. And I also, I have a, in the back of my mind, I actually would like to attempt, but I don't know whether I can or not. I want to do a comedy. Right. I think uh, you can. Well, there's in shiny about your in, life, though. Well, in shiny <laughs> scissors, there are certain chapters that are comedy chapters. I mean, yeah. they basically involved my father at daft yeah. things we got up to on firm. But people said to me, I really enjoyed the funny chapters about, you know, the farm and your father and all the rest of it. There's all yeah. old chapter about my father and the daft things we got up to up market and farming and all the rest of it. So, and, and people, a, a lot of people have said to me, I, I really enjoyed that bit of story. You know, you should do something like that. You should write a comedy. So um, um, that's another future plan I've got. I've got. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's on the agenda. Each time you go through life, you take on a new project, you accelerate it, and then you yeah. move on. And with the writing, it seems that every book you've written, although there's a common theme, like yeah. a love story, yeah. they're all very different, yeah. set in yeah. different periods. Yeah. And yeah. so a comedy yeah. maybe is on yeah. the cards. Yeah. 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 Well, if it's comedy, you'll be in on it, mate. Oh, you'll good. Be, yeah. good. Yeah. 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 We'll call him Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Lol, thank you very much. Great. I've really enjoyed it, pal. Really yeah. enjoyed it. Thank you. Still no beer. No, oh. no. <laughs> This has been the Midnight McBride Show, show number 24. 
Thanks for watching. You can subscribe on this YouTube channel. There's a new show out now every Thursday and every Sunday. And then all the shows also go out as an audio podcast on iTunes, Podbean and Spotify. Also now going out on Amazon and Deezer as well. And I think some other platforms also. You can get me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. You can go to the website, midnightmcbride.com. And you can also catch me every Monday night on Salford City Radio, 94.4 FM, 11pm till 12pm or midnight till midnight. And the quote this week I thought was relevant and to express yourself is to express. X as in former, as in previous, to remove and press as in pressure, as in to force something which implies resistance. To express yourself is to remove pressure, to express, to get what's inside out. And we do this with writing, as Lol knows, and I know it's a great way to express yourself and it's cathartic. This quote, when the song inside is louder than the music outside, you are manifesting. You are in the creation process. This has been Midnight McBride. I hope you've enjoyed the show and I'll catch you the same time next week. Shalom. Shalom, indeed. <laughs>